The Across Her Table podcast is constantly trying to tell stories that inspire. If you like what we are doing, could you please consider subscribing to us? We're a small indie podcast and small gestures of support from you can go a really long way for us. And while you're at it, do you mind giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts? When you recommend us to a friend, it helps us build stronger networks and reach more people. We can impact change simply by spreading the word. So share the joy. This is Mifra Abid from the Greater Toronto area and you're listening to Across Her Table. This is a podcast where I talk to remarkable Canadian women with immigrant roots and how they're contributing to the social narrative in Canada. Moving to Canada has been an adventure for me, and every day I meet inspiring women who have stories to tell, values to share, and so much to give to their communities. Let's get started. It's not every day that you meet real-life superheroes. Rabia Khader has been blind since birth, but that has not stopped her from becoming a super-achiever. She spent the better part of her life advocating for people with disabilities and for racial equity. She has founded Diversity Works and Dean Support Services, both that help her serve the people she represents. She's also a founding member of CAMD, the Canadian Association for Muslims with Disabilities. She has been the Commissioner of the Ontario Human Rights Commission and the Executive Director of the Muslim Council of Peel. She even ran for public office. While all these are great accomplishments in themselves, this spirited mother of four wins you over with her humility and sense of humor. Welcome to Across the Table, Rabia. How are you today? I am great. Thanks for having me. I've been following you on social media for such a long time, and I really think you're doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, Rabia, one of the first things we generally ask guests is, where are you from? Or basically, where are your roots from? Well, if somebody asks me where I'm from, I typically say, you know, Mississauga, just east of square one. But really, I was born in a little village in Punjab, Pakistan. Uh, it's a couple of hours away from the capital. The village is called Tidwal. That's where I was born. I was actually born in my grandmother's house. So you came to Canada in the 70s. How was it like then? How was it like? Well, let me put it this way. I didn't get any halal fast food anywhere ever. <laughs> <laughs> I had to settle for, you know, veggie subs and fish sandwiches and veggie pizza. <laughs> oh, that's a huge difference then. <laughs> it's a huge difference. This like today we are spoiled rotten in in at least in the GTA and in Ontario that, you know, if we don't find a halal option, we get offended. That's how spoiled <laughs> we are. And you know, when I was growing up, when the first Popeyes opened up in the 80s, I think we used to drive like, you know, uh, uh, you know, like half hour, 45 minutes to go to it. I can, I can imagine almost, you know, how it must have been. It was quite different, quite different. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Now, Ravi, you have stated before that being blind, you see things differently. And I think it's a very powerful quote, mashallah. But can you elaborate a little more on that for our listeners? You picked a quote that I sort of, you know, brought out there in the public realm, sort of just thought of and, and threw it out to the wind when I ran for city council. And <laughs> I wanted people to recognize that I'm blind, but also realize that being blind doesn't mean that I can't see, that the concept of seeing goes deeper than just physical sight. And that, in fact, because I am not physically seeing things, I do see things differently. I understand things differently. I experience things differently. And I think about things differently. I strategize differently. I problem solve differently simply because I see things differently. Uh, you never been shy about talking about this. However, that has apparently not slowed you down in any way. You are very active with your community work and you have a very engaging presence even on social media. So how do you manage to stay on top of everything? Well, you know, the bottom line is, I mean, I, I've, I've said this often in many places. I thank God. I thank God that I came to this country at the age that I did and eventually had access to education because if I didn't have education, I wouldn't have the skills and abilities and, and you know, uh, presence even. I wouldn't even have the presence as a human being to have mm. access to family, to community, to leadership, to, to career. And in that process of education, I've acquired skills, literacy skills, and then ultimately access to technology that allows me to use the skills that I have to express myself, to, to have a presence and to demand a presence to, to be heard, not only through social media, but to be heard in the community and through media and through various platforms to, to be able to speak on the issues that matter to me and to do the work that matters to me. Is there any technology or tool that you use which is particularly helpful to people with disabilities? Well, I was taught how to type, you know, there's something called typing <laughs> or keyboarding as it became known later. I was taught how to, uh, you know, how to put my 10 fingers to work on a typewriter, on a keyboard, you know, from manual to electronic and eventually to, to computers and laptops and, you know, touch screen keyboards on mm -hmm you know, mobile phones and devices. So that's one of the most important skills I think that I was taught. And I was actually taught in grade five by a volunteer. Um, my school felt it was important for me to have typing skills so I could type stuff that I could read very crisply and cleanly. I, mm -hmm. I don't think they realized the, the magnitude of the skill that they were teaching me. And that skill has gotten me through post-secondary education and, and work and, you know, today, social media. And one of the most important pieces of technology in my life, my screen reader. And my screen reader actually is, is a software product uh, developed by JAWS, uh, that software. Uh, it runs over any uh, Microsoft platform and it reads aloud text. So anything I'm typing or, or reviewing in emails or documents, for the most part, it can read 
so, you know, I joke, I say, I've been living uh, longer with perfect Paul as he was known back then uh, as a synthetic voice. Um, so I've been living longer with perfect Paul than I have with my husband. <laughs> so, um, and, and since 2014, you know, 2014, just because of, you know, something significant I was doing in my life, I was forced to start using, uh, an actual touchscreen phone, the iPhone. I was taught actually some tricks by a gentleman who is blind, who, who really made me believe in the iPhone. And its and its capabilities, and it opened up a whole new a whole new world to me of how I could express myself, how I could communicate through Facebook and through Twitter and through WhatsApp and and you know all that kind of awesome stuff. That is amazing. That is so so amazing, mashallah. So you know, Rabia, most people would have a hard time establishing just one major organization in their lives. But you, on the other hand, have been pivotal in the formation of quite a few. And just to name a few, the CAMD, which is a Canadian Association of Muslims and Disabilities, Diversity Works, and of course, Dean Support Services. Now, each of these is doing groundbreaking work. My question is how? How do you manage all of these in addition to the responsibilities you already have? Well, I mean, it comes down to a realization at some point, you know, I used to have a nine to five job, I figured out it wasn't working for me with my extended family responsibilities and my immediate family responsibilities as a mother, as a wife, uh, I needed to create more balance in my life. So I quit my full time job. I quit my full-time job and I decided to go into consulting. That's when I established Diversity Works. Diversity Works is, is a brand uh, for uh, human rights, equity, uh, inclusion, and accessibility work uh, that I've mm-hmm. done over the years with, with a team of people. So it's actually my business. Um, CAMD, Canadian Association of Muslims with Disabilities, uh, I established with a number of friends as a result of the work that we were doing in the mainstream uh, around the intersection of race and disability, culture and disability. So the fact that people with disabilities are not just disabled people, but they're diverse people and just happen to have a disability. So they have all these identity markers that make them a whole person. And because Mm -hmm. of all those identity markers, you know, because we have these intersecting identities, we have uh, race, we have a disability, we have gender, we have culture, language, socioeconomic status, all this stuff at play. Um, and, and that means, you know, we need to look at the barriers we experience through that intersectional lens. We needed to bring that conversation within the Muslim community. So we established Camp D to be that vehicle to give voice to the issues that matter to us as individuals, as families living with disabilities. So uh, we we established that out of necessity. For me, it, it was a passion to make sure that younger families living with disabilities were not marginalized, were not excluded, were not ignored like my family was when I was growing up. I often say that there are a couple of things that drive me, crisis and competition. And when there's a crisis, I drive super hard. And when there's some competition, I also drive real hard, you know. (laughs) So through those crises in my life, I created opportunities and I created um, spaces to advance the voices of people with disabilities and create 
um, programs and services. And, and that's how Dean also came to fruition. But none of these, uh, this could have happened. Like, first, if I did not have a disability and have brothers with intellectual disabilities and a sister with a disability, um, because that's my motivation and my inspiration to drive is our lived experience as a family. If I did not have supportive parents um, who helped me raise a family, if I did not have a husband who said, you know, so what if you're blind? And so what if you have siblings with disabilities? Um, he saw through what I was doing and what I was able to do and what, you know, what we could do together as a couple, as a family. Um, that my disability was not a barrier for him to marry me and, and, and to raise a family with me. Um, so I wouldn't have done what I've done without my immediate family and without a tremendous circle of friends who believe in my ideas and in my dreams and support me in, in, in pushing those forward. And, and these friends are from all sorts of walks of life and all ages and all backgrounds. Now, when you talk about Dean Support Services, could you tell our listeners what that organization does in a little more detail. So Dean, uh, aka Faith, uh, is Disability Empowerment Equality Network is the full acronym that sort of encompasses what we value. Uh, mm -hmm. Dean Support Services is a direct service charity. Uh, we have a center in Mississauga where we provide in-person services. Uh, our flagship uh, program is our Life Skills Day program for people with intellectual disabilities, primarily youth and adults with um, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, global developmental delay, autism, yada, 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 whatever label you prefer, but it falls under the umbrella of intellectual disabilities or developmental disabilities. Uh, we run a, a network, uh, a number of drop-in programs. So in Mississauga, in uh, Scarborough, and in Ottawa, uh, on Sundays, we run peer support networks, uh, both virtual uh, and in-person. So we have a virtual network for people with vision loss. We have a network for people who have physical disabilities who wish to come together. We bring together families to network. We run uh, annual Eid parties. We raise a lot of awareness. We run an international disability khutbah campaign in December. Uh, we have charity challenges. We run Access Kicks, which is a modified soccer activity for youth and adults with disabilities. And our big dream is to set up uh, an education and training center with respite and residential services. Wow. So we want to expand. We have a very big dream. We need to have long-term services, supportive housing or group homes as they're labeled in, in conventional mainstream language. But we need to provide a safe place for individuals to live independently with dignity, with all the supports and services that they need, that response to their faith and cultural experiences. You know, services that don't just focus on their disability, but in fact, look at them as a whole human being. You know, we pray that, you know, we, we fulfill that dream because it's an amazing idea, mashallah. So, inshallah, it's a very, it's a very big dream. And inshallah, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's 
guidance and support and, and bounty and generosity, it will come to fruition. Is there any way that others can support your cause? Well, I've, you know, I've always taken the approach that um, our, our organization is in the business of raising awareness, relationship building, and fundraising. All these three elements go hand in hand. We need people to know that we exist. We need people to know why we exist and what we are doing and why it matters. We need people to know us and get to know us and get to know people with disabilities in their communities who need services and supports. So we need to build those relationships. We need people to help us build more relationships with key people who can support what we're trying to do. And ultimately, we have to fundraise. We have to fundraise through various channels. People can help us in many, many different ways. People can help us through connecting us to corporate giving programs, donation matching programs. They can help us by giving direct donations to us. They can help us by tapping into their network and asking people to, to give to us as, as a cause of choice. Um, they can help us by attending our events, by promoting what we're doing on social media by you know endorsing the work that we do so there's many many different ways and we're open to any possibilities i am always here answering my phone if somebody calls me i am always here to answer emails when when somebody reaches out and if i haven't i always tell people please try again and keep trying nag me i will respond you matter when you reach out to me and want to help or need my help I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who want to help causes, but they just don't know where to start. We're a good place to start. We're a super <laughs> clean, registered charity that is very transparent about what we do. Now, Rabia, you talked about exclusion that your family faced. Now, that is one of the issues, uh, you know, we want people to know more about. But what about the stress? Because I met this mother, and when she came to know that I'd be talking to you, and she she has a, a child who doesn't have a visible disability in that he's got intellectual disability, as you just talked about. And she's really struggling, especially during the pandemic, taking care of him. And she says, can you talk about the stress that comes with living with the disability? So what advice would you give to this young mother as a caretaker of an autistic child? Get all the help you can. Implement all the strategies that you can. Um, it's really, really important to advocate and, and, and access services that are available to you. It's important to make that child as independent as you possibly can. One of the biggest mistakes our mothers make is they compensate the disability by breeding dependency. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not good for the mom in the future and that's not good for the child. The more skills you can cha- teach a young child, regardless of their disability, the better off they will be as youth and adults. And they need to be independent of their caregivers. Eventually, they have to be, to whatever extent possible. There's always going to be an interdependency, but we we have to work on skills and abilities to make children with disabilities independent. That's really important. 
that helps alleviate some level of stress, um, it's important to build a, a support mechanism around us. You know, it's important to find allies and, and to share. Um, it's oftentimes we in our communities and our cultures want to not share the challenges we have raising a child with a disability. Um, sometimes we don't even want to acknowledge that we have a family member with a disability. We don't even want to introduce them as having a disability. Um, we will often focus on a symptom that they have as opposed to recognizing the nature of their disability because of the stigmas in the community. So, you know, strip the stigma. Don't worry about it. Um, don't worry about the looks that people give you. Do what you need to do. Occupy the spaces that you need to occupy with your child and, and be visible, be known, and don't worry about the don't worry about it. Just don't stress yourself out um, and, and don't isolate. Um, it's gonna be a battle. It's a lifetime battle when you live with someone with a disability as a family. And you gotta build your skills to be able to do that battle and build a network of people that will support you through that battle and always have people that you can just dump on you know you can just put all your feelings out without shame without guilt it's always important to have people like that around you to be able to talk without feeling judged or reprimanded um those are some really really important things but at the end of the day Recognize that nothing happens without the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that he is the all-knowing, the all-powerful. Um, and and he doesn't give us anything that we cannot handle, ever. Wallahi, I believe in that. True. You know, I, I will testify. I swear to God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you do not test us with something that we cannot bear. We just need to recognize our ability to 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 cope to manage we need to find our resilience we are resilient as human beings we just need to recognize that and and find it discover it and exploit it in fact mm -hmm. so so you know to her i would say you have an opportunity it's tough it's often sad and lonely and you grieve and all those feelings for a mother are normal a lot of times society you know especially very religiously inclined people and 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 well-meaning people want us to romanticize the blessing of having a disabled child alhamdulillah but it's a lot of work it is very difficult it's very painful it's very sad it can actually shake your faith but you have to come back and strengthen your faith and strengthen your resolve because you have an opportunity to do something in this life. You, you have an opportunity to do something that is really unique and different. And it's your duty to go with the flow. And you will never, never have something that you cannot manage. You just need to, you just need to find the power within to manage. To find that resilience, that resilience. That, that is that is so um, I don't know thought provoking or you know it makes you dig deep inside and think about you know things. Uh, 
how can the others help as a society? You talked about stigma. You talked about, you know, excluding people with disabilities. Now, how can the others be allies? How can, you know, people without disabilities make spaces more accepting? How can we make it easier for people or mothers who are dealing with this kind of, you know, stress? People need to recognize that sometimes people are born with disabilities. And many times people acquire disabilities through accident, injury, illness, age. And this is a real possibility for all those people out there who do not have a disability right now. They may not have a child with a disability. They may not have a disability themselves right now, but it's entirely possible in the future. And They need to be conscious of the barriers that they have put up, that society has put up, that organizations and institutions have put up. They need to be aware of those barriers and they need to remedy those barriers. They need to champion the removal of those barriers because not only is it the law and not only is it a human right, but it's an obligation on society as a whole. It's a moral, ethical, spiritual obligation to ensure that everyone, regardless of living with or without a disability today, should be able to fully participate in all aspects of our lives, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our society as a whole. Robbie, you have you could have focused on just disabilities as your advocacy point. Like that is the only thing you could have chosen to do all your life, but you didn't stop there. You have been very vocal in support of racialized minorities, marginalized groups too. So why? Why did you expand your focus to so many segments? Like I said originally, it you know, I recognize that I am a racialized woman with a disability and I wear a hijab on top of that through that lens of the world seeing me as a visible Muslim, right? So I'm experiencing racism, ableism, faithism, sexism, all these things are at play mm-hmm. um, when it comes to my identity as a whole human being. So I can't just focus on fighting for disability rights. I have to fight for rights as a racialized woman with a disability in disability spaces. I have to fight as a woman with a disability in Muslim spaces. I have to fight as a woman with a woman with a disability in cultural spaces, and I have to fight as a woman with a disability in racialized spaces, because all those spaces do have people with disabilities, and the disability community has diverse people with disabilities, and there's need there needs to be a recognition if we are to make inclusion happen. Inclusion doesn't just happen in a disability silo. And inclusion doesn't just happen if somebody accepts me as a disabled woman. Inclusion happens if we truly look at people in a holistic way in, in within all those so-called categorizations of marginalized communities or, or whatever we want to call them. Now... I remember a quote that you made with, with regards to, you know, uh, being racialized, being women, and etc. And you said, uh, quoting you here, is that you said that Muslim women should be seen and heard, loud and proud, should be viewed as contributing citizens, as speaking for themselves, 
acting in, actively engaging with people to break stereotypes, to raise awareness, and dispel the myths. On these lines, what is your advice to people who are trying to raise awareness and start a dialogue? You know, discover your passion, look at your skill set, look around in your network, and, and do something. Just do. Don't think too hard. You know, like you doing a podcast, Mifra, I'm so proud. I'm so impressed with your idea. You know, branding it as across her table. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> Thank, um, you. Thank you. And, and, and it's fresh. And, and we need to start doing more of these things. We have tremendous, tremendous skills and opportunities. And we often use as women and ex the excuse that, oh, my God, I'm so busy. I, I have so much housework and, and cooking and, you know, I have to take care of my kids and I have to do this and I have to do that. And da, da, da. Or I work and you can do all that. You know, busy people do more than complain about being busy. To Women can multitask. They have to stop using the excuse of busy. And they have to put on their, you know, creative hats and find ways to contribute. And and I've always said this from, you know, simply contributing at a school bake sale to volunteering on committees and to creating entrepreneurial opportunities and um, networking and letter writing, whatever way, shape or form, you have to contribute. You need to recognize the challenges that you face in your life. And you can't just sit back and complain about them. You have to do something. That's the bottom line. And 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 do it and 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 show people what you're able to do and, and solve problems for yourself and others around you. And they don't just have to be quote unquote Muslim problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're just, you know, day-to-day -day things that impact your life and, and you recognize that they impact the lives of others. So it could be issues around seniors, it could be issues around the environment, issues around, you know, access to jobs and, and skills. Just recognize a barrier that you're facing and find an opportunity to, to, to remove that obstacle. And you will find other people that will stand right along with you. And like I told you, crisis and competition drive me. I think that's one of the takeaways. So when I meet a crisis, I'm going to think, what would Rabia do? <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been a really inspiring conversation. Well, I'm inspired that you're doing this. I think this is a wonderful format and I want to I wanna definitely see more. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That is so encouraging. If you like this episode, please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts from. We would also love to hear from you. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or just email us at feedback at acrossatable.com. <laughs>